Welcome to episode 127 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 127 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I am coming to you from my new house. And how is the new house? Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Oh my gosh, stuff is everywhere. Moving is not for sissies. <laughs> I know you've moved a lot recently, but I haven't moved since 2005. So I had all the stuff of four people that you accumulate when you're growing up with children. And oh, anyway, so we're, we're getting there. But I have a really great story about my neighbor. Do tell. Well, I was at the closing for the house on Monday and the seller said, oh, our neighbor listens to your podcast and heard you talking about the, the front room podcast studio and the glowing red light. So I, it, it shows what a small world it is because this is literally my next door neighbor is a podcast listener. So shout out to my next door neighbor, Lauren. <laughs> I met her and her husband last night. They're awesome people. So we have great neighbors and um, I don't have to explain intermittent fasting to them. That is so funny. Or if my room is glowing, I don't have to explain it. <laughs> it's so funny yeah, because we were talking about how the neighbors would be wondering, but I, yeah. I guess you're covered. Well, you're covered for one of them. Exactly. So anyway, it is such a small world, but my, my next door neighbor is a podcast listener. So that was thrilling. And um, yeah, I just have so much to do, like so much to do. But you understand, you know what that's like. I'm just excited because I feel like now you understand in retrospect all of my <laughs> my like <laughs> previous craziness with moving. Yeah, it is hard, but we've got just so much stuff crammed away, like, you know, things of the boys from when they were five, I mean, <laughs> you know, because... Cal has completely moved to San Francisco. And so we, at one point he started collecting computers like old Macs and he was having them shipped to our house. So we have all these computers of his that he's like, oh, you can't get rid of those. Those are special. So we're not just moving our stuff. We're moving stuff that belongs to our kids. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause we moved out of our whole, our whole house in Memphis. It's just insane. Right. So it was a similar kind of a thing. Y'all had been there for how long? Since 2000. And y'all were there for how many years? About 18, 19 years. That's a lot. So what's up with you? Just chipping along. Today I aired, I'm really excited, I think my longest yet episode on my new podcast on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast about the carnivore diet. So how'd that one go? It was great. Turned out great? Good. Yeah, it was with Dr. Paul Saladino. He was actually on Bulletproof Radio like yesterday, I think. He has his own podcast as well, but he's like the carnivore guy. And I, I don't personally follow a carnivore diet, but 
I've been, and you know this, but I've been been fascinated by the concept of it for years and I've done like sort of renditions of it probably about 10 years ago. And I'm just really, what, what I loved about our conversation is we really got into just the science of how different foods affect the body, especially plants versus animals. And I, it was just, I learned so much. It was fascinating. So, well, are you going to experiment with carnivore? Do you have any plans for that? I really would like to, I think when it, when it gets finally gets colder here, (laughs) um, I think I really would like to, even if it's just for like a week. Right. So yeah, I would love to, I'd love to hear your, your experiment. I, I know. I, I keep trying a few like carnivore days. Like I'll do like a day, but then I but then I fail. But I, w- I would like to commit <laughs> to like a week at least. And I know they say you need to do like months, but um, like t- to adapt. But I feel like I'm also coming from a slightly different place because I'm not just like jumping in from standard. From the standard, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So we'll see. Stay tuned. I, I'm, I probably will. I probably, I, I want to, it's, I think, I literally think about it at least once every day about when am I, well, I a hundred percent am not going to, I know. but you probably knew that. <laughs> I, yep. <laughs> probably could guess that one. I could be a beanitarian. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Just eating beans, a beanivore. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I could be, I wish I could be a cashew a tour, but I, I don't think I'm ever going to eat a cashew again. It's fine. Well, shall we um, jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. All right. So the first question comes from Dania, and the subject is water intake and choosing goal weight. And Dania says, hello, Jen and Melanie. I am so thankful to my friend who put me on to your podcast, and I've shared it with many others. I've listened to all of them and really have benefited from all that I have learned from both of you. I am loving the Serapeptase. I have both of your books, and I can't wait to dive into them this summer. Thank you for being very honest and open. It is refreshing. Question number one. I have heard you both allude to the opinion that we may not need as much water intake as is routinely advised. Often water makes me nauseous, especially in the morning, so I try to make up for it throughout the day. Since starting IF about six weeks ago, I have started drinking up to three cups of black coffee to ward off hunger. It works. I usually open my window at 4 p.m. and close it around 7 p.m. I forget to drink water after that. Truly, I probably don't have more than three to four full cups of water each day, and I usually don't drink anything else other than the coffee. I don't feel dehydrated, but I wonder if I should be working harder to increase water intake. What do you think? Will it help with weight loss? So we can go ahead and um, answer that question if you like, Jen. Okay. Well, you know, I just did some math and she said she's having three cups of black coffee and three to four cups of water. So that's like six to seven cups of fluid. So I can't imagine that you would be dehydrated unless you're doing like a ton of sweating. You know, I think the whole um, carry around a jug of water and make yourself drink it as, as much as you can. I think that's hype. You know, I know people swear by it. There's probably somebody listening saying, Jen, I disagree with you. That's fine. But (laughs) I think that we're not designed to need to drink that much water all the time. You know, I don't think that over drinking water leads to magical extra weight loss either. I've never heard of any proposed mechanism for that. Although people always like to say it like folklore, like, 
oh, I drink a lot of water so I can lose more weight. I don't understand how drinking more water would actually do that. Maybe someone could enlighten me. Do you know why, Melanie? Do you have any ideas of how drinking more water could make you lose more weight? I mean, I could see it might flush some things out, but it's not making you lose fat. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it would help more with like flushing out toxins and stuff. And then we actually talked before, I mean, often people even argue that dry fasting actually leads to greater fat loss, <laughs> which would be the opposite. I think people are going to pick up their ears when you said you considered coffee being hydrating. Do you feel like coffee is hydrating or do you feel like the caffeine creates a dehydrating? It's not going to dehydrate you more than the amount of the water you just drank. I mean, I have actually read um, articles that talk about, yes, other fluids do count towards your liquid for the day. You know, some people like to think they don't, but I mean, you have to just think about the net effect. So if you're drinking coffee and it's, let's, let's say it was exactly eight fluid ounces, even if the caffeine dehydrated you or whatever part of it is supposed to clear out the water more quickly, it's not going to clear up more than eight ounces of water. I had actually had read that as well. So that, that coffee counts as mm-hmm. liquid. I mean, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. I, so Daniel, we have discussed this before in the past. I do think water intake is very intuitive. And also we know that typically the, like the kidneys tend to adjust to your baseline water intake. So if you're taking in more, you'll probably be flushing out more. If you're taking in less, it'll regulate accordingly. I think the problem more comes in when people feel like something is off. Like I feel, I feel like we're pretty in tune with our, our hydration system. Um, so we have a question actually coming up about that. So I'll just, I'll wait for that. Oh, what, what about what I said about the weight loss, you know, extra fluid leading to fat loss. You don't think that that there's any merit to that. Do you? I just think it, it it's a helpful aid in flushing out toxins and things like that. So I think it's, I think being hydrated is supportive of weight loss, but I don't think you're going to lose weight from drinking water. That's what I think. (laughs) Of course, well, I guess you do lose weight from fasting and drinking water. Well, yeah. (laughs) But it's not because of the water, I don't think. All right. So question number two, she says, Jen, I have heard you and others report losing more weight after you have reached your goal weight. That makes me wonder how to choose a goal weight to reach or if I should. I am of average build and a five foot, five inch, 47 year old woman weighing 140 pounds. I was an athlete most of my life, so I never had to pay much attention to my weight. Also, I was muscular, so I know that muscle weighs more. The last few years, I have lost muscle mass and gained weight. I have lost 10 pounds these past six weeks doing only IF. I'm wondering how low I should go since I don't have the weight of the muscle as I am not working out as I used to, just walking. Or since I love IF and how it makes me feel and plan to keep it as a lifestyle, should I just continue on with my eating whole foods in my three to four hour window and walking and not worry about reaching a goal weight? Yes. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt you, Melody. Yes. All right, go ahead. I'll, I'll get to it in a minute, but keep going. Okay. Then she says, Jen, I know you threw out your scale, but if you're going to go back in time, would you have kept watching the scale until you reached your goal weight? Thank you ladies for all of the work you put into this podcast. Please keep it up as it is such a great motivator to me. And congrats to Jen on her retirement. I homeschooled my four kids through eighth grade so I can relate a little. 
Take care, Dania. Awesome. Well, to address the last part where she said, um, she asked if I would have kept my scale till I reached my goal weight. I actually did. I, I kept my original goal weight. You know, I started at 210. I wanted to weigh 135. That just seemed like, you know, a nice number. It was 75 pounds down. I thought if I could just get to 135, like I'd managed to get there briefly before, not that, you know, many years before when I had done some crazy dieting. So I was like, I think I can get there if I can just stay there. So I hit 135. And then once I got there, um, I decided, you know, I could I could still lose some fat. I still had some fat that I, I felt needed to go. So I readjusted my goal. You know, I thought maybe 125, maybe 130. We'll see. So then I got to 130 and stayed around there for a while. And Basically, I stayed in that 130 to 135 range for about a year. A year after I initially hit 135, I was hovering around there. And that's when I decided to throw away my scale. Well, that's when I decided to put it away. So after a year of maintaining, I put my scale away. I didn't throw it away yet. And then 14 months went by. And during those 14 months, that's when my body kept changing so much. Like I dropped two more jean sizes and I felt like I was probably down at least 10 pounds. So I felt like I was probably between 120 and 125. That's what I felt in my head because I had lost so much weight. I mean, I'd lost so much size, you know, with my, um, in my jeans and in my clothes and the way things were fitting. I had to get all new underwear and bras. My body changed a lot. So Remember, this is a year plus 14 more months after hitting my initial goal. So that was like 26 months later after hitting 135. So I got on the scale. I was feeling brave one day and I was like, I'm going to see something between 120 and 125. I got on the scale and it said 130 point something. I can't remember what the point was, but I was so like angry <laughs> that the scale didn't say a lower number that I was expecting. And then I was mad that I was mad because I was, you know, sitting there in my size zero jeans thinking, why does it matter what the scale says? And so that was the day I threw my scale away. So if, you, if you've heard me talk about myself, you know, I am not a big exerciser. You know, I've been moving the past week and I've been moving boxes and lifting heavy things and my muscles are strong but I don't do any formal exercise. So you said um, that you're walking, Dania. So you actually are likely building muscle just by walking and by living your life. Because remember, with intermittent fasting, we have increased levels of human growth hormone. And they're increased to the point that, you know, you don't often see in adults, you know, but children have a lot of human growth hormone during the period of time when they're growing. And so they're building muscle without hitting the gym. And so we're able to build muscle just by living our lives too, without going to the gym. So I think you should really just not focus on the scale. You know, you said that you didn't used to focus on the scale. You didn't need to have to worry about your weight. And now that you're doing intermittent fasting, you know, you said, should I just continue on with eating whole foods in my three to four hour window and walking and not worry about reaching a goal weight? Yes. Because if I had readjusted my goal weight based on that day I got on the scale and I saw 130 point something, you know, I would have dieted and done some things to get myself down there. But I realized that the number didn't matter. What mattered was how I felt in my clothes, how I felt in my body. And really the day that that 
scale number became irrelevant to me is the day I threw the scale away. And I have no desire to see what the scale says. And, you know, if I go to the doctor and they want to weigh me, I'm going to turn around backwards. And I know that might sound crazy, but I just don't want to let those diet thoughts back into my head. You know, I I love the way I feel right now, but if I got on the scale and it said like 139, I mean, I don't know, I'm just making it up. I would be shocked because my clothes are actually loose right now because of all the moving. But I would think, oh no, I have to lose 10 pounds. And so I don't want to have those thoughts ever again. My honesty pants fit. I feel good in my clothes. That is all that that matters. Like for the rest of my life, that's all I'm going to care about. I think that is wonderful. Yay. So I hope to never know how much I weigh ever again. <laughs> Any thoughts? Do you have anything to add? Are you done with that? Was it? No, I'm just like completely on the same page. So yay. I think a lot of us that that have been long-term dieters, we attach so much power to a number. And really what matters is that I feel strong and powerful. I mean, I was lifting heavy things like for hours and hours and hours every day. And I was strong enough to do it. I had the, you know, the um the endurance to keep it up in the fasted state. And my clothes fit. That's really all that matters. We just, you know, that we can move our bodies, that they're strong, and that we feel good in our size. I was, I did have an epiphany yesterday, or I did have an epiphany recently about the scale. And I think the reason we are so attached to it is because in this whole world of uncertainty with our bodies and our health and how we're changing and our diet and our food, it's, it's a number, you know? So it's like, it's black and white. So it's like, you can measure it. It's like the one thing that seems quote certain, even though it's probably not, even though it's not certain, you know, because it's not really measured. Like a, it's, we don't even know if it's accurate. We don't know how it's affected by water or fat. So on, on the one hand, it's not technically black and white, but that's how it appears to us. And I think it provides a sense of safety, even if we hate what it says, I think it provides comfort and safety. And that's why people gravitate towards it. Yeah. It doesn't tell the whole story, just like BMI, you know, people fixate on BMI, like, you know, whether you're overweight or obese, depending on that number. And it's just, you know, your ratio of your height and your weight. And, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, you're going to be in the obese category because your weight is high because you have so much muscle mass, but you might have a very low body fat percentage. And so, you know, focusing on just a number is so misleading. All right. Shall we go on to the next question? Sure. All right. This is from Katie and the subject is extreme thirst. Hello, Jen and Melanie. I found your podcast last fall after I had been IFing for over a year. I had lost about eight pounds over the year, but switching to a clean fast made all the difference. And I'm happy to say I'm at my goal weight, lost about 20 pounds. Well, congratulations, Katie. About two months ago, I started practicing keto and I found it easy to follow. I do eat carbs on the weekends with my husband, but I can quickly switch back to fat burning on Monday morning. My biggest issue is the thirst. I was thirsty before on IF and it seems like it is a sign that I'm in ketosis, but it never goes away and has gotten worse since I'm really low carb. I've searched the web high and low and have not found a way to satiate my thirst. I've tried drinking salt water before I work out. I run on the treadmill two mornings a week and a long run on the weekend, but that hasn't helped. 
Any ideas would be appreciated. Keep up the amazing work. You are changing lives. All the best, Katie. All right. What do you think, Melanie? All right. So this is a great question here from Katie. And so we're back to the water thing. So I do think with water, it's often, and I could have said this earlier with with Dania's question, but I think it's not often even about the water as a lot of other factors. So Katie, you were talking about keto and salt. So electrolytes, that could be a thing. I'd recommend, so there are a few things I'd recommend. I'd recommend rather than trying just straight salt water, trying an actual electrolyte support drink that's not going to break your fast. And there is one um, that I found recently. It's the LMNT element. Um, they have an unflavored version and it's literally just the correct proportion of electrolytes. So that's something you could try. I could, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So if it's an, if it's an electrolyte, if it is an electrolyte issue causing the thirst, that could be a thing more in addition. So I'm actually, I'm really fascinated with uh, traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, and especially taken from a Western perspective. So I'm actually recording right now the audiobook for an amazing book called Live in the Balance by Linda Prout. It's absolutely amazing. And she does an amazing job of just covering basically the whole concept of traditional Chinese medicine, but then also from a Western perspective and the science behind it. And it's fantastic. But the reason I think it's appropriate is one of the things she discusses in detail is the different imbalances that can arise in the body. So in theory, we should always be in balance, but we oftentimes people can be, get different constitutions. So they can become hot. They can become too cold. They can become too damp. They can become too much wind, which has to do with like sickness. And then they can become saving it for the last because it's related to this question too dry. So what I would recommend, Katie, is looking into um, that the, the food remedies for adjusting a dry composition. And I don't think people often think about this. They think, oh, I just need to change my water intake. But it's quite possible that you could address the foods in your eating window, and that could actually solve your problem if it is the problem of your body just being overly dry. So there's a lot of information Um, too much for me to go in into detail. So I really recommend that you check out this book, especially, um, when I, when I do the audio book, but there's the print version right now as well. But for example, like TCM does consider the dry pattern to be a deficient yin pattern because they have yin and yang and yin is like, it's more of the, the feminine, the moistening, the cooling, whereas the yang is more of like the fire, the energy. So people who are dry are often proposed to have deficient yin patterns. So I'm just actually, I'll just read some of this from this book. It says that particularly good foods for replenishing a deficient yin pattern. And I know you are keto Katie, so it would be taking from this, what would work for you, but it's saying black or kidney beans, fish, chicken, chicken soup, pork, cooked vegetables, whole grains, sea vegetables, essential fats, fatty fish, omega-3s, flax seeds, flaxseed oil, hemp seeds, hemp oil, pumpkin seeds, walnuts, oatmeal. Then she goes into some she goes into some grains as well. And then she actually has like lists as well. If you're doing keto, Katie, the proteins that are moistening are pork, fish, shellfish, eggs, 
and then cheese and yogurt, uh, particularly from goat's milk. You can do a lot of certain seeds. Cooking techniques can also render food more moistening. So that's like boiling, braising, poaching, sauteing, simmering, steaming. And then there's also like things to minimize, for example. So she actually says minimizing coffee as well as alcohol, spicy foods, bitter foods. And I mean, there's a whole lot more information beyond that. And like I said, she goes into more of the science. So like how this actually relates to the health of the kidneys and other body organs. But so that's like a a brief overview, but I would recommend Katie doing some research and possibly looking at your food choices and maybe actually making them create a more hydrating situation in your body. So so for the constant thirst, so the electrolytes, you could try addressing the food. And then she also discusses how thirst can manifest differently in, for example, dry patterns versus like heat patterns, because that can also create thirst, but it'll manifest in traditional Chinese medicine slightly differently. So like the difference between you know, craving a ton of water, not feeling like you're ever hydrated from it versus just constantly needing water throughout the day. So it is really fascinating. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'll also put a link to another book, which I've mentioned before. It's kind of like the Bible of Chinese medicine. It's healing with whole foods. It's absolutely amazing. And if you want to reference things, it has an index and it's it's great. So yeah, so those are my my thoughts on the thirst. I don't think the answer is necessarily drink more water, especially cuz you're saying you're seeing like you said that that's not that's not satiating. That's not addressing your thirst. You still have the thirst. So I do think there's something else not pure water related that is going on. And again, we're not doctors, so there could also be other issues as well. So I'd also recommend, you know, working with a practitioner if you feel the need. What do you think, Jen? I think that I can't possibly add anything else to oh. that. <laughs> okay. That was very thorough, and I learned some things too. I don't know a lot about Chinese medicine. so. Oh, Jen, I think you would – so this book, it's so interesting, and I really love – the reason I love Linda's approach is because – and I can call her Linda because I've been working. <laughs> I've been working with her because I'm recording the audiobook. Um, I love her approach because she – it's not a, a super long book. It's really easy to read. It's very well organized, but she does, sh- she talks about the traditional Chinese medicine and then she talks about how that manifests in Western medicine and the connections between the two. And it, I don't know, I've just learned so much and it's become a really valuable reference for me. And I just really appreciate the Chinese approach because they have such a holistic view of the body. And I just, that's what I just, I just love. Right. I like that too. Yeah. Listeners, I can't recommend it enough. You could get it now or you can wait for the audiobook. Actually, the audiobook that we're recording because she wrote this in 2000. So um, it's, it's been a bit. So we're actually updating it as well. So if you do wait for the audiobook, it'll have some updated chapters and some updates. But I'm also going to bring her on the new podcast and do a, a, a traditional a TCM episode. So I'm really excited. Ooh, that sounds great. So the next question comes from Amanda and the subject is intermittent fasting bandwagon. And Amanda says, Hey y'all, I started listening to your podcast in early September and was blown away. I've read both of Jen's books and I actually bought two more copies of delay. Don't deny for friends. I started IFing consistently eight months ago with the hope of losing five pounds and gaining more energy. 
The holidays and a trip to Disney slowed me down, yet I love that it didn't take long to jump back into it. I am so grateful for your due diligence in finding answers to listener questions. I will say that I can't tell people about this because they are so defensive. You warned your listeners, and I, like everyone else, had to learn this the hard way. I feel like I'm keeping this amazing secret that no one knows. I've lost 15 pounds, built muscle that shows more than ever before, lost all tendonitis in my wrists, and sleep like a rock. I clean fast at least 18 hours a day, even on the weekends. I'm still not healthy eating yet. I'm closer than I was when I started. I, unlike you two, work out consistently. I spin and do bar. I have never felt like I was in ketosis, nor have the strips said I was in ketosis. Here's my question. During fasted cardio, I will start tasting a foul breath. It is more like onion, not metallic like others talk about. Have you read any correlation with foul breath during fasted cardio? I'm not doing keto, so I'm not sure it is ketosis. Okay, so we can go ahead and answer that one first, Jen. Yeah, people experience... um the, the breath that you're talking about, ketone breath differently. You know, a lot of people taste it as a metallic breath kind of thing. Some people say it's bad breath. Some people have a sweet kind of taste, they say, or salty. These are all words I've heard people describe it as. Um, but just funky breath that's different that hits at a certain point. And especially if you're having it during fasted cardio, I think that would be a big clue. Because as you get deeper into the fasted state, and cardio will do that for you, you're going to have, you know, deeper ketosis and you're going to have the breath that that goes along with it for you. So I would guess, yes, that's what's happening. What do you think, Melanie? Oh, and the strips are worthless. Don't use the strips, especially since you've been doing this for a while. Um, Those strips only measure what ketones are being excreted in your urine. And the longer you do intermittent fasting, the better your body becomes at using the ketones efficiently. So you're not going to have them hanging around to be excreted in your urine. They're not going to be, you know, hanging around in your blood. Your body snatches them up and uses them. They grab up those valuable ketones. So keep that in mind. Yeah. When it comes to the breath, I think it can be just a different manifestation of the ketones and how that feels for you. I think it also can be like a detox type thing, especially when you get into that fat burning mode, into that fasting is often when we start detoxing and a lot of that can come out through the breath. So I I think it's one of those two things. And then for her second question, she says, another strange question is I do not like coffee or wine. I drink ice cream tea during my fast sometimes I add stevia. Don't tell Jen. What? (laughs) I want to drink coffee and a glass of wine, but I don't like the taste. Is there a correlation with those two strong flavors? Can I make myself like them? Thanks again for becoming the experts without the badge. I built a lot of trust with you two. Keep it up. All right. So I have thoughts on this, but Jen, what are your thoughts? All right, Amanda, you told me. So I'm going to have to give you a little time out. (laughs) I promise you the stevia is making a difference, even though you may not feel that it is. I would like to challenge you. I'm going to call it the clean fast challenge. And I want you to give it 30 days. You can do that. Give yourself 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, like, like I'm serious, don't have anything like, like the stevia, just stick to plain green tea. 
for 30 days. Then at the end of that 30 days, experiment with the stevia. And I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. So I'm challenging you to do that. You can do anything for 30 days. Okay. Now, the flavors of the coffee and the wine. I read a very interesting study and I wish I had saved it, but with all the moving, I've just been, you know, amazed if I could even just, you know, feed my family or like find clothes to wear. So there was a study that I read somewhere. I think someone shared it in one of the groups about our taste buds and how they change. And I've often had a hunch that they did, but this was actually some science behind it and that our taste buds actually turn over. And so, for example, let's say you don't tolerate bitter flavors like me. I didn't used to tolerate them. I had to have so much sweetener in my coffee and I didn't like bitter vegetables, anything bitter, blah, turned me off. Well, then I realized about the clean fast and how stevia was holding me back. So I gave it up, ripped off the Band-Aid, started drinking the black coffee. And amazingly, it took a couple of weeks and my taste buds adjusted to the black coffee and now I like it. But not only that, my taste buds have changed so much that I enjoy so many bitter vegetables that I, I didn't used to tolerate. So I mean, I wouldn't force myself to drink coffee or wine if you genuinely don't want to drink them. Don't drink them. But yes, taste buds can change. So that's a two-part answer there. And I want to go back up to what you said at the top about how um, you feel like you can't tell people about it because they're defensive. I think we're really moving out of that um that time. I mean, like, for example, yesterday, a guy came to my house to install, you know, our TV systems, right? So he was installing and I was setting up my podcast studio since I'd be recording today. And I was like, I got to set this up. And he's like, what are you doing? And I explained it to him. And I said, have you heard of intermittent fasting? He said, oh yeah, I do that. Okay. This is the guy who was setting up Dish Network for me. (laughs) You know, he, he's doing intermittent fasting. I hear it all the time. And so I think that it's time for us to stop feeling, you know, you said other people are defensive. I think sometimes we feel defensive, like we're doing something weird, but we are not doing something weird. We're doing something that is becoming more and more common everywhere you go. You know, it was on the Today Show, I think yesterday. I mean, it's everywhere. So if someone hasn't heard of it and doesn't know anything about the science of it, that is their problem that they are uninformed, not yours. So please don't feel like you're, um, you have to keep it a secret. Really, I tell everybody, of course, you know, I do. (laughs) Melanie and I, we tell everybody. But I think everybody should feel confident about telling everybody because you're not doing something wrong. It's not something you need to hide or keep secret because it's this important health strategy. It's not just about weight loss. It's health. It's longevity. And think of all the people that, you know, maybe they're not ready to hear it the day you tell them. Maybe somebody, you know, ridicules it that day, but then they're going to be listening for it. And then maybe the next time it's on the Today Show, they're listening and they're like, oh, that's a doctor. Maybe it isn't crazy. And now you've planted the seed. Maybe they wouldn't even have paid attention to the news story if you hadn't planted that seed. And then later, Maybe they try it and maybe it changes their life. So, you know, that little bit of pushback you get from people, I think it's worth it to plant the seed and be confident that what you're doing is healthy and not weird and not fringe and not something you have to keep secret because it is out there. 
anyway, there was my little diatribe. Sorry. (laughs) I've noticed that as well because, I mean, you and I, we've been experimenting, experimenting, living the IF lifestyle for so long. So I think we've really been able to see the, you know, the timeline of how things have changed and like back in the day, nobody knew what it was. And now when I, nobody, yeah. (laughs) When now, when I mention it, I'd say it's about 70, 30. I feel like about 70% of the time people now do know. And oftentimes the follow-up question or the follow-up comment will be, oh yeah, like, like an 18, like 16, eight people often say that. I'm like, oh wow, you do know what it is. Um, yeah. So I think that's, it's great. Going back to the tastes and everything. I actually did find a really interesting study. Altering salivary protein profile can increase acceptance of a not of a novel bitter diet. This might be the one. When did this one come out? 2019. Then this might be the one that I just saw. It came out in May. Yeah. I bet this is the one somebody just shared. Yep. Yeah. So this is the one. Thank you, Melanie, for doing my research for me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so basically, the findings in the study were that so we actually have proteins in our saliva and they affect our taste. And actually what we eat in part determines those proteins. So there are about a thousand specific proteins in our saliva, which is that's a lot of proteins. So it was a rodent study and they used different um, water bottles to ascertain whether or not the rats could actually taste bitter, not whether or not they liked it, but whether or not they could, but whether or not they could actually literally taste it. And they found that rodents that had actually been conditioned to taste the bitter. So they had these proteins on to better taste the bitter. They weren't as like negatively affected. They, they literally could not taste the bitterness at higher concentrations. That sounds kind of ironic because it's like you're turning on the bitter protein. So you think that you would taste more bitter, but it's more that like their saliva was adjusting to the bitter taste. And so it didn't come as like an intensely bitter shock. Does that make sense, Jen? Yes. So yeah, that is exactly, that's, that's the one I I saw and it was proteins. I remember that now, but it, it, the interaction in your mouth changes, but yeah, that's exactly the one, but yeah. Yeah. So, So I mean, you would think, oh, if I, you would think if I have proteins to taste bitter, then things would taste more bitter, but it's, it's the opposite. It's once you you're, once you start, you know, adjusting and tasting bitter, you turn on these proteins to taste bitter, and then things don't taste as bitter because right. it's it's not foreign. And they find that what you eat does affect it. So to answer Amanda's question about can um, she make herself like them, if that's something you want to do, Amanda, then it does seem that consistent small exposure. Yes, you could most likely begin to like it. To bring back the TCM the traditional Chinese medicine. So I looked up wine, coffee, and tea to see what their flavor profiles are in TCM. Well, first of all, temperature-wise, wine and coffee are both warm because Amanda said that she doesn't like coffee or wine, but she likes tea. So wine and coffee are considered warm regardless of their literal temperature. They're considered warm fluids. And then tea is considered a cool fluid. So that's something that's different. So that's one possibility going on there. And then the flavors. So wine is considered sweet, sour, and pungent. Coffee is considered bitter and pungent. And tea is considered sweet and bitter. So if we're looking at the overlap 
both wine and coffee are pungent, but tea isn't. So it's quite possible that that pungent aspect could could be the thing that, you know, that you don't like. You could get one of those TCM books that I referenced and, or you could just Google it and you could look up and see what foods are considered pungent and see if you actually don't gravitate towards those as well. But I think there could be something there with the flavor profile. Yeah. I think that that's great. That's just so fascinating that our tastes change. And I've known it all along. Like I have said over and over again that, you know, I think switching to black coffee opened up my palate so that I could enjoy bitter flavors. And now we have science behind why. Yeah. And it's kind of like with wine, you know, they'll talk about wine connoisseurs who can like taste all these different flavors and stuff in wine, but it actually, you, you, it is true. Like (laughs) you can, um, start detecting, you know, different flavors. And it's pretty fascinating. It definitely brings a whole new perspective to the culinary world and, you know, chefs and the the art of tasting food. And it's very fascinating. So our taste buds change and it's more complicated than that. (laughs) (laughs) Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash IF podcast and use the coupon code IF podcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's J O O V V dot com forward slash IF podcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. <laughs> all right, are we ready for our next question? Sure. This is from Chatterina, and she says, overwhelmed by supplements. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much for all of the time and energy you pour into all things health, wellness, and fasting. I have learned so much from listening to your podcasts and from reading all of your books and a lot of the books you've recommended. I've been fasting for over a year, but I've pretty much just maintained because I haven't been consistent enough with longer fasts and my nutrition hasn't been ideal because I haven't had a kitchen for months. We've moved, renovated a house, and I'm dropping my only child off at college tomorrow. No stress. So, Chatterina, I feel you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. All right, so back to the question. So now I'd like to focus on fasting and my health. My kitchen is finished and beautiful, and I want to keep busy taking care of myself to take my mind off missing my lovely daughter. I'm overwhelmed by all the supplements that have been discussed. Which supplements would you guys recommend taking as a basic starting point? I'm healthy overall, and now we'll be going back to my usual whole food style of eating. I take thyroid medication for hypothyroidism, and I'm working my way through menopause. Joy. Again, thank you so much for all you do. All my best, Trina. All right, Trina. So I thought this was a great question because... Like we do have a lot of supplements that we discuss on the podcast. And I think Jen and I are actually on the same page as far as in the ideal world, we wouldn't, you know, need any supplements. <laughs> you know, we would just have our our food and our fasting and we'd be good to go. But oftentimes due to people's personal constitutions, gut dysbiosis, things like that, supplements can actually be pretty beneficial. If you don't feel the need, like if you don't have, um, you know, GI distress or anything, or anything like that and everything's feeling good, I wouldn't recommend, you know, feeling the need to bring in like probiotics or in a pill or, um, I mean, we talk about like Altrontil, which can be amazing for people with IBS and you can use that even if you don't have IBS for the polyphenol benefits. But even then I, I don't, I don't think there's like any need to, st- I don't think there's any need to start taking a supplement if you don't, if you're not trying to address something. With the one exception of I I am such a fan of proteolytic enzymes taken during the fast to further support autophagy, breaking down, you know, old proteins, breaking down potential viruses or biofilms or bacteria, keeping your sinuses clear. I just love it. So if you want to bring in a supplement, I love something like serapeptase. If you go to if you go to com slash serapeptase, we have a lot of information on different brands and how it works. Um, people also do proteolytic enzymes like bromelain or certain blends. So I think if you don't feel the need to take any supplements, but you want but you want to try something, I'm a fan of that. I'm also more and more increasingly really, really interested in the health benefits of CBD oil, just because it seems to have such a health promoting 
effect in the body if you have anxiety or stress, but then it's also anti-inflammatory. Can I talk about that real quick? Can I jump uh-huh. in? Sure. You know, as, as listeners know, we are now sponsored by Feels. And so I had some laying around and I only took it one time so far. And I took it close to bedtime before I read the directions that said, don't take it close to bedtime at first because it will keep you awake. My possibly. <laughs> so that I was like scared to take it again. So I hadn't been taking it. It just was sitting there. In fact, I packed it and moved it to the new house. Before we were actually in the new house, I'd moved a bunch of stuff over before the movers came. Well, my husband was very, very stressed out from the move. Like, like he does not handle change well. We all know people who don't handle change well. He's one of those people. Sorry. I know he does not listen to the podcast. If anybody does, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> but he was freaking out like you know, freaking out. And so um, I was like, here, try this. And I, I gave him some of that. And I swear to God, in like 20 minutes, he was laughing and back to his old self. Are you serious? That makes me so happy. I am not kidding. And I, I mean, it was like amazing. Like a light switch was flipped. That makes me so, so happy, Jen. Uh-huh. And I had it and I used I mean, and I've been giving it to him twice a day, some days, and now first thing in the morning, every day, um, he opens his mouth and I drop it under his tongue and <laughs> send him off to work. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, that made my day. You know, and he's a medicinal chemist, so he doesn't, he has a PhD in medicinal chemistry and, and he, um, yeah, he teaches organic chemistry. So he knows his, his, you know, pharmaceutical structures, whatever, you know, how how molecules and go to, anyway, he understands all that. So, you know, he's, he's taking it and it made such a difference that I couldn't believe it. Cause I know if you're taking a a pharmaceutical, you know, anti-anxiety or antidepressant, it can take a long time for those to work in the body. You know, like people take them and they don't feel better for a couple of weeks. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of taking those prescription type things either. And he's not either, but I mean, this could be a commercial for feels, but it was, I'm, I'm you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't take a lot of supplements, but man, that was dramatic. So anyway, I had to say that. I'm glad that you mentioned it. That is so wonderful. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about CBD, especially, and it's really important. And the reason, one of the reasons we love feels is because they, well, they, I had I had this very stringent list of criteria because oh Jen I, I thought about you and this I walked into um, Kroger yesterday and like the advertisement at the front was like we now have CBD products and like all these pictures of <laughs> CBD products I was like wow <laughs> it's everywhere now um, but it is really important I think the sourcing and the quality and the carrier oil used and that it's organic and feels fits all of that. So that's why we were, well, I was, I was like super thrilled to, to partner with them, but Jen wasn't, Jen wasn't quite sure yet, but now I'm really excited that, um, that you've realized the benefits. It, it was really kind of amazing. And then our cat was all nervous last night. This one cat, he's apparently not real bright. He got into the neighbor's yard and couldn't get back over the fence twice. He's gotten over there. We're like, how are you? And he's like crying. So anyway, now he's figured out how to come in and out the cat door and he's in the house. He cried all night long, like at the door of the bedroom. He cried. And then I would open the door and throw him outside. 
And then he would run around the house to the cat door, come back in, start crying again. So like we did that probably four times. So I'm like, I wonder if he could use some like a cat dose of CBD oil. Oh, people people use CBD for pets very, very often. You probably could just give him feels. I'm actually going to, I'm going to ask them um, because I know that they make a lot of like in general, CBD companies make pet products that are CBD. Um, so I'll ask them about that. But just for listeners, something that's really important to note about CBD is it, well, a, um, it's not addictive. I do want to emphasize that. And it does not work by down-regulating anything, which is often how right. things work. So like oftentimes supplements and medicines and prescriptions, they will provide the neurotransmitter, the, you know, whatever it is that you're lacking. But then in response to that, your body downregulates its own production, which creates that addiction pattern, that withdrawal when you go off of it. CBD works with the endocannabinoid system in our body and it does not downregulate the body's natural production of cannabinoids. It actually um, adds to them and actually can potentially increase the body's natural production. So there's no worry of any sort of you know, addiction, withdrawal, anything like that. Um, it truly, I think, can be a wonder for a lot of people. So going back to Trina's question, my two recommendations, if you're not trying to address some sort of GI distress, if you're trying to address like GI distress, I would go, I would look into the probiotics that we recommend, the Autrantil, um, things like that. But if you're just trying to like, you know, supercharge your life and, you know, maybe make things even better, that proteolytic, proteolytic, proteolytic enzymes like serapeptase, and then I think experimenting with CBD could be awesome. Oh, and I should probably mention, they're not sponsoring this episode, but um, you can get 50% off of feels, which is amazing. That really is. It is for like the their subscription, but you're not committed to, I mean, you're not committed to it. So, you know, if it doesn't work for you, you can just cancel. So it's don't, don't be scared about like, oh, I'm signing up for a subscription because you can cancel it if it doesn't work for you. And I'm going to encourage you to actually go to the show notes to get the link because we've been having slight issues with the link. Um, it's very like particular. <laughs> it has to be put in exactly. So the link is feels.com slash IF podcast. It's case sensitive. Um, try typing that in. It should work. <laughs> if it doesn't work, go to the show notes. Try copying the the actual link that I have with like the HTTPS and you know all of the slashes and all of those things. Um, but the link does work. Some people just have a little bit of issues trying to get it to actually pop up. Um, if you have any issues, just uh, send me an email, or you can contact Fields. Um, but you can email me at uh, questions at ifpodcast.com. So yeah, that will get you 50% off. Oh, and free shipping. So if you want to try CBD oil, now is the time. Oh, Jen, what are your thoughts on the supplements? Yeah, same thing. You know, I've talked about before that I only take things if I if I need them. Like if I, I sense something, you know, if I know something, if I'm deficient in something, then I'll, I'll take a supplement. Really, it's very much what you just said. And so... um I was just really happy to have that CBD oil, CBD oil hanging around. <laughs> it just was at the right place at the right time. But, um, you know, and I also want to give a shout out to Trina because she talked about how she's been doing intermittent fasting for a year and she's just maintained. 
But the way she she said it, I just wanted to give her a a cheer and an atta girl because she she knows why. And she said, but I've pretty much just maintained because I haven't been consistent and my nutrition hasn't been ideal and all the things that have made her stressed out. And so she knows it. And so, you know, I there was a teacher strategy that we used when a kid was having trouble with something. We would say, you know, why do you think that's happening? And a lot of times they knew. And so, you know, Trina hasn't lost weight. She's been fasting for over a year, but she knows why. And so now she's targeting those things that she knows she can focus on. So I just wanted to say that's really, really important. So anybody who's doing intermittent fasting and not getting the results that you think you should be getting, ask yourself that question. Why, you know, might I not be getting the results? What could be holding me back? And I bet if you ask yourself that question, it'll come to you. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I thought that was great. That's great. One more thing I thought of, one more supplement. If you have any sleep issues, Sleep Remedy by Dr. Kirk Parsley. That would be the last thing I would say. And it's all natural. Um, It just provides all of the substrates your brain naturally needs to instigate the sleep state. I'll leave it at that. Episode three of the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast is actually an interview with Dr. Parsley. So we go into all of the science. We go, that, that episode was amazing. We go into all of the science of sleep and how that works. I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. Now I do have a question. You know, my sleep, of course, has been interrupted by bad cats and things like that. But, you know, I've taken magnesium for a, for a while at bedtime. Would you take that alongside sleep remedy? Would you take them both at bedtime? Yeah, you could. Okay. The sleep remedy, it does have a little bit of magnesium three and eight, which is actually, he recently readjusted the formula. It used to be a different form. Magnesium three and eight is actually, it's the form of magnesium I'm, that I'm aware of, the only form that crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it has a very calming effect in the brain. And then the supplement also has other substrates as well to support sleep in very specific amounts. I think like theanine, actually a tiny bit of like vitamin D, which is actually needed for the sleep process, um, a few other things. But he made it to address, because he worked with the Navy SEALs who are notorious insomniacs, um, from, you know, just the, the stress of that whole lifestyle. And he developed this to address their sleep issues. And he knows, he knows everything about sleep. He's like the sleep guy. He has like Ted talks on it. Jan, if you have any sleep issues ever, I would definitely recommend trying it. It's really amazing. All right. That's a great recommendation. All right. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. So a few things for listeners before we go. We are a Himalaya-partnered show, and if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. I love Himalaya right now, Jen. They're like, they keep featuring my um, my new show. Like when you open the app, right? there's like this scrolling, you know, feature thing that shows like, watch this podcast, and, it, and it's like really big, and they keep putting my pod, my show on it. Yay. I'm like, hey. It makes me so happy. Um, no, but we love the Himalayan Network. They're amazing. And they're the only app I use to listen to podcasts personally. You can follow all of your shows, make playlists, comments, so many things. And if you follow our show in that app, you will get early access 24 hours in advance. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and submit questions there. 
the show notes for this episode. I don't think I even said that yet. They're at ifpodcast.com slash episode 127. Definitely go there. I'll put links to everything, especially the links to like that CBD oil, everything else that we talked about. You can follow us on Instagram. We are the I of podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. We are the I of pod. All right, Jen, anything else from you before we go? No, I think that's it. I got to get back to the unpacking. I hear ya. Okie dokie. We'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the intermittent fasting podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.